Hello, everybody. Bob Oxley here, and it's time for tips, topics, issues, and positions. And uh, I, I'm going to kind of talk about a topic today that uh, is far as sexual orientation policy. And our Utah state legislature just concluded last night, and uh, I am a little bit concerned because the issue is what about this thing called conversion therapy? It was being proposed. And a lot of things happened from the time that that legislative unit session started to time it finished yesterday. And I've, I've invited an expert here from the campus uh, to help us understand conversion therapy and what transcended and, uh, and moving forward. So uh, what I've done is I've, I've been very fortunate. I've invited um, Katie Perkins, and she's the coordinator for the LGBTQ+. Resource Center here at Dixie State University. So, Katie, welcome to TIPS. Hi, thank you for having me. All right, my pleasure. Uh, like I said, this has uh, been a, a situation I've been following along with a number of other issues uh, being proposed up at the state legislature. But this one, I thought back in February 22nd that there was a proposal being considered, gone to committee called Conversion Therapy Ban, and it just, it just went uh, one problem after another, and I thought everything everybody was on board with this. But boy, uh, I, that's why you're here. We our listeners have called in and want an explanation. So we always start off big here at Tips, and then we'll start narrowing it down a little bit. So could you kind of like give us just an overview? What when we're talking about conversion therapy, when it has to do with sexual orientation policies, what does that all mean? Yeah, well, that's the big question and a great question and. Part of the reason why there were so many revisions in this House bill was disagreeing about the language and what does define conversion therapy. But in the broader sense, conversion therapy, when it comes to sexual orientation or gender identity, is just that it's a conversion type of therapy, sort of a brainwashing, um, various levels of this. Um, you know, you can go from taking something that, you know, starts out as counseling, but then goes as far as aggressive as electric shock therapy and very physical elements involved in it. But essentially it is the idea that someone can be um, changed. Their sexual orientation or their gender identity can be changed. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but uh, in this committee, uh, the state legislature uh, called a number of experts, psychology experts and people that are aware of what this conversion therapy is. And to a person said that it is not effective you can't change someone from being a homosexual to a heterosexual through any kind of a conversion therapy. Am I right? Right. So if you look at any medical research, any counseling research, any of these professional organizations, they all agree across the board. Yeah, this is ridiculous. This is not, you know, there's no documented proof of it. Um, yeah. Okay. So here we go. So we've got a bill in the state legislature back in February saying that there should be a ban like 15 other states and the District of Columbia have already passed bills uh, indicating that there's a ban on conversion therapy because it's not effective. And everything seems to be that the cards are all laid. Everybody seems to be on board. Then all of a sudden we've got a pushback. Um, can you explain uh, who some of the key people are or some of the people? What is the pushback on this one? What, what happened here, I guess, is what our, our listeners are asking. What happened? Yeah, like, like you mentioned, it was introduced back in February, and then just as of in the last week, week and a half, um, has been pulled from the table after 
I have the fourth and fifth revision copies here in front of oh me. Oh, gosh. Um, but like I said, a lot of that comes down to the section about what defines conversion therapy. And it was really important when the sponsor, Craig Hall, um, introduced this, it's really important that it does mention specifically um, banning conversion therapy that is aimed at changing someone's gender identity or sexual orientation. So those key words, uh, just like any other bill when it comes to anti-discrimination or anti-harassment, it needs to say those specific words. Otherwise, it becomes very vague and gray, and then it's difficult to prosecute or you know put into effect. But yeah, so the chief sponsor was Craig Hall, and then Representative uh, Corianne Liz- Lizenby um, proposed the substitution, the most recent one, um, the fourth revision. So yeah, just a lot of back and forth. It was introduced, and they go, no, you know, let's tweak this, let's change that, I recommend this substitution, and basically just came to a point where no one could agree on the terms. Which is amazing to me. If you have a group of experts, psychologists, that are aware of what conversion therapy is, you have all of this evidence, all of the results, as the negative results, uh, then I don't know what the question is. Do you, from a, from a political, is that political? And here's the other thing was the uh, Church of Latter-day Saints involved with this. I thought when this was introduced in February that everybody was on board with the verbiage and ready to roll. So uh, do we see a problem there also? Yeah, that's the most baffling thing. Um, like you mentioned, there are 15 states and over 60 cities that have banned conversion therapy. So we're, it's a big movement that we're starting to see. The biggest thing is a lot of citizens don't know, especially in their state or in their city, that conversion therapy is still happening and that it is legal. And so once they find out, they go, oh my gosh, this is absurd. Yes, I want to vote. Let's, let's stop this practice. And this bill is especially centered on minors. So if you look at the text, it's all geared toward minors. So these kids are introduced into it from their families, religious groups, um, and then sent away to these conversion therapies. Some are called camps. Some are just, you know, a, me- a weekly meeting with someone who is, you know, their, their so-called therapist um, to perform these. But yeah, that's where it comes down to. A lot of this is based on religious um, practices. So when you go back to a lot of these different camps, um, they're oftentimes sent there from a religious person, uh, you know, various levels within the religion and say, okay, you know, my son just came out as gay. I want this corrected or fixed or you know, taken care of in some way, they see it, you know, as an option. Right. Yeah. Well, what, what, I guess what was upsetting to the people that were, that, uh, you mentioned that Representative Hall introduced this. Was that correct? Um, yeah, the chief sponsor was Craig Hall. Craig Hall. When he introduced this, uh, uh, he's a he's a, a good politician. He, he's I'm sure he's, he's checked all, crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's, and said this is going to go. And then he ran into all these problems, and all of a sudden it was one thing after another, and then what he indicated was where his frustration was, and this is what you've indicated, it, that the verbiage when it came back in the second, third, and fourth, and you have the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> when each time it comes back, it's even watered down more, whereby the ban's not really a ban. It's just uh, there's no threat to people that want to continue in this state for conversion therapy, even though it's been proven to be ineffective. It's, uh, uh, and so my concern is... Uh, where are we at with this right now? Is it is it because the sessions ended at midnight last night? Are we saying that the conversion ban is done? It's not going to go anywhere for this year. Yeah. So I am new to Utah. I've only been here one year, so I'm learning a lot about the politics and how things have worked. And I've been here seven years, and I'm still learning. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. So so what I've heard is that typically this is not something that passes the first time around. Much like the anti discrimination bill that they're also reworking when it comes down to language. So you know, 
not a huge surprise, unfortunately, but, you know, the hope is, yes, we're going to come back. We're going to, you know, keep putting it on the table. Again, like you mentioned, everybody across the board who's, you know, medically trained, certified, credited, you know, credible sources have denounced it. So okay. it's just a matter of time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's hope. Um, here's something else. You, you already mentioned this. It, it was focused. Uh, actually, the ban was really to help out youth. And my, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're seeing a, uh, a large segment of that youth uh, uh, potential uh, depression and suicide. Right. And that was one of the major concerns. That's why it had to be strong language and mm-hmm. to take advantage. So have you, in your research and in what you're actually experiencing, do we see that a high level of suicide amongst these individuals that are being forced to go to these conversion therapies? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there was actually just uh, a study done recently. You know, there hasn't been a whole lot of specific studies on conversion therapy with LGBTQ, with all of the, the data behind it. But we did just come out with one in 2018 from Dr. Caitlin Ryan um, at the Family, Accept- Family Acceptance Project in San Francisco State University. Um, and that's exactly um, what this research study found, that they have more than doubled the rate of depression and nearly tripled the rate of suicide attempts. So we're looking at 63% suicide attempts, 52% experiencing depression after being sent to one of these conversion therapy camps or practices uh, when you come looking at LGBTQ youth. Oh. And if that's not, if those numbers aren't shocking enough, I mean, I, I just, I'm just, I'm glad you're here because I'm, I'm completely baffled as to, but it was a lot of outside sources, resources that actually caused some of these members of our state legislature to not vote in favor of a ban that -hmm. were on this committee, uh, never got out of committee. Uh, there was total frustration. And I guess even some of the leaders for both parties up at the state legislature say, don't give up. Don't, don't wring your hands, go back and get that revision done and start, get things moving forward. And I guess there was such a, uh, level of frustration on the parts of both sides up there in that committee that, uh, they arched their backs and nothing got done, unfortunately. Yeah, I think the idea is if you're going to push it and it's going to be gray, there's going to be loopholes, it's not going to be effective, then, you know, let's just wait, put it out there when it can be exactly what it needs to be. Okay. What was what was encouraging uh, was a number of the uh, universities, I'm assuming Dixie State was involved too, a number of the universities that, uh, uh, that take care of those that are have sexual orientation that fall under the uh, acronym LGBTQ uh, plus, and mm-hmm. I, um, that they were, took proactive approaches. They were actually writing and sitting and sitting in and at the state legislature, mm-hmm. at the house, and that's that's a positive sign. So it's not being kept quiet. It's put on it's put on the street so people can talk about it, which that's I think is encouraging. At least it's coming out. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I think happened in the past is people didn't know about conversion therapy, but because the conversation stayed in those tight religious circles and it didn't really expand out, you know, to the rest of some of the community members. Um, So now it is more public. Some of these victims of conversion therapy are feeling comfortable coming forward and telling their stories. And we've got students on our campus who have been through it for those exact reasons for um, sexuality and and gender. Boy, and which brings me around to a lot of things that you're doing. Um, you've been on this campus for one year, and you're the coordinator for the LGBTQ Plus Resource Center um, here at Dixie State University. 
And uh, can you talk a little bit about your your operation? And uh, there's a lot of people on this campus that are totally unaware that it exists. So, right. Yeah, I still run into that every day. Okay. Uh, maybe, you know, you might have a transgender student and one of their friends tells them, hey, have you heard about the resource center? And they go, what? what? And tell me, where's this at? You know, and they come by, they stop by and see me. Um, so the resource center has been open since 2016. It opened in the summer of 2016. And then just recently, so just this academic year, 2018, 2019, there has been more attention put into it, more focus on building this resource center up. You know, before it was like, okay, it's here, but, you know, let us know if you need anything. And then now it's like, okay, how can we make this more robust? How can we make this more valuable to the campus? Um, so I kind of look at it as having three pillars, one being education. So I'm educating faculty, staff, community members, students, um, then resources uh, being called the resource center. So students can come in to me and they can find inclusive counselors, inclusive healthcare providers, basically safe spaces where they're not going to be discriminated against um, or judged, you know, as they seek services out in the community. Um, and then the final thing is just support. Um, so being support, you know, what I can provide myself, you know, I'm not a licensed counselor, but we do have our health and counseling center that I make referrals to. And then a lot of local community counselors who are LGBTQ inclusive. So, well, that is great. Yeah, that's great. Now, physically on campus here at Dixie State, where are you located? Uh, so I'm in the Browning Learning Resource Center, okay. room 207. So right next to the Multicultural Inclusion Center, um, next to some student support services in that building. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very familiar. In fact, I met you a year ago, two days after you arrived here on <laughs> campus. So <Yeah. laughs> you didn't realize that this is, this is a very big challenge. And uh, uh, look at the things that are going on, even with the state legislature, like this conversion therapy ban. Um, uh, a lot of things to do. A lot of hurdles. Right. Okay. And you're, and you're living, you're doing a great job from what oh, I thank understand. You. <laughs> so I really appreciate you being here. Um, I want to throw just a couple of other ideas out to things that have hit happened here because uh, we're talking about sexual orientation policies and uh, with the U S military made a statement yesterday on transgenders, which I thought was already resolved a long time ago, but here we go again. Now they're saying that uh, if you are a member of currently a member of the U.S. military, and you proclaim yourself transgender, that you're only allowed to uh, identify with your birth gender. Yes, sex assigned at birth. Can you explain a little bit, based on, did you hear about what's going on here? Like, are they going to remove these people from the military slowly and surely because... And uh, what about the operations that are that are required or are necessary? Has that been eliminated now by the military? Or yeah, so a lot of people don't understand. So someone who is transgender is someone who's sex assigned at birth. So what they stamped on the birth certificate does not match um, their gender identity. So how they live their life, who they are. Um, so for these trans individuals, you know what is stamped on their birth certificate does not match who they are as a person, as you know, as their gender. Um, there are a number of different levels, you know, to transitioning and being trans, you know, anywhere from hormone replacement therapy to, like you mentioned, a number of different, um, gender affirming surgeries. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, basically they're not saying, okay, you can't be in the military because they know how that looks. So they're trying to make it look like, oh, we're not that bad. We're not, we're trying not to be those bad guys, but really they're making it more difficult to live your life being transgender and still serving. So we have, you know, over 12,000 uh, military members who are, you know, transgender, not just LGBTQ, but just singling out the transgender uh, population. 
And so, yeah, so now they're, they're given the challenge of, okay, I either have to start detransitioning because if you're not taking, you know, maybe your hormone replacement therapy, you're going to start to physically detransition somewhat. Um, and there's all different physical, mental, psychological different pieces that are involved in that, that whole process. So, yeah, you're basically giving them an ultimatum. Like, we won't kick you out right now, but you can't, you know, move forward as you are, essentially. Well, wow, that's amazing. And so typical. Because they, they, when, the, the, when the president made a statement about transgenders, no transgenders in the military, the president. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the military came back and said, you can't just do that. Right. So that's initially how it started. <clears throat> and the military said, yeah, right, you know, say what you want, but we're going to keep moving forward. They're great service members. We need them. We'll keep moving forward. Yeah. And the, so now it's back on the table again. So the, the very, very proactive. Uh, and then all of a sudden you can't do that, Mr. President. And all of a sudden you start seeing this new, these new policies slowly, but surely. And correct me if I'm wrong. This is my own personal interpretation. This is an orderly adjustment to removing transgenders from the military. In other words, allowing, uh, others to come in and take their positions away, get trained, move forward and kind of like just slowly move them out of the military quietly mm-hmm. absolutely and not yeah. and not lose productivity and right. i'm thinking you know business military organizations it's absolutely amazing to me that this can this transpires it's just amazing to the whole situation as far as we have to be uh, we're all human beings so we have to treat each other like a human being mm-hmm. okay and uh Sexual orientation shouldn't even become be part of this, but right. it's, it's I correct me if I, tell me what your feelings are in this. Is it better because of your position and you you're more attuned to this than I am? But is it better for us to be able to talk about different sexual orientations and be free to talk about that, or is it is that causing the problem? I'm I'm talking about a very conservative orientation here in Utah. Is, is that causing the problem? Uh, people are, is it by b- making people aware of the various sexual orientations and understand what they're all about? Is that helping or is it more of a hindrance? Yeah, I think that's, that's the biggest issue here is it's a lack of education. It you is. know, a lot of people here still think that the LGBTQ plus acronym just means sexuality. And they say, oh, you know, that's maybe a belief or, you know, I don't believe in this, and it, you know, instead of an actual identity piece. And, you know, again, there's tons of medical research, um, psychological research behind it. But just that lack of understanding, they have their walls up and they go, nope, LGBTQ means gay. But no, there's so much more to it. So essentially it's, you know, diverse sexualities um, and genders all grouped together. Sometimes we can be grouped together and, you know, it applies. And other times there are specific needs to each community, like the trans community. You know, they're facing a lot of added barriers versus just lesbian and gay communities. Got it. So let's get back to your resource center. Yeah. You've been here a whole year, so you've seen a lot. Um, what do you need? What do you need? What, as far as what would you like to see happen at the resource center? I know you've identified a number of things that you would like to see implemented, but it takes time. But what can the, what can the community do? To, uh, to help you and help the resource center become even more effective than all the good job that you've done thus far? Yeah, I mean, there's so much to it. Um, right now, my position is part-time, so obviously full-time would allow me to take on more support, more education. Um, I did teach eight safe zone trainings for faculty staff this year, and we had over 100 
participants in that. So That's you'll see our new Safe Zone stickers around. I would love it if we didn't even have to have the Safe Zone stickers, if everybody on campus was just trained as a given. If you're an employee of this university, you're trained on these cultural competency pieces. We're not there yet, but eventually, you know, making that a mandatory piece of the culture, just like any other cultural competency that's done on an annual basis. And um, so that's one piece is just, you know, helping educate the campus, people being, you know, right now it is a voluntary thing to come in and take the safe zone. So more and more people telling others, hey, you know, I went to that course. It was great. I learned a lot. You know, some of the benefits, the values there. Um, As a campus, um, ally support is huge. So these students, faculty, staff who don't identify as LGBTQ, but support the community, Stepping up and, you know, making those, you know, those comments um, when necessary, you know, standing up for LGBTQ um, individuals, that helps a ton. And just, you know, helping spread the word about the education and the value of the diversity. Um, So ally support. You know, we have some fun events. We have some great events. We're doing a lot of collaboration with, um, you know, student body, um, student government, other clubs, other student associations. We haven't started reaching out in the community a ton yet because there's so much work. Like you said, this is my first year on campus. Yes. There's just so much work to do on campus, but we do want to start bringing in, you know, those community pieces. Yeah. I've, like I say, I've been here on campus for seven years, and so I've seen a major change just in the diversity of the student population. Right. And, and with that, that's encouraging. That's exactly the environment that I came from, that it was very diverse and allows the students to interface with fellow students from different backgrounds. Uh, and uh, dispel some of the misnomers that you've gotten through socialization where you came from. And I think it's a very healthy, a healthy sign. And it's people like yourself and that resource center is absolutely crucial. Uh, and uh, to have a place where they can go to and feel safe, like you say, and be able to talk about things and get the necessary support and be given necessary direction to resources to work with them and, and move forward and be successful in their own lives, their own respective lives. Much of this time would fly by. Okay. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. I I, uh, just want uh, to thank you so much for coming in. Uh, I received a number of uh, uh, inquiries over the last 10 days about this conversion therapy. And uh, my show always starts off with the basics, and we work in the details as far as uh, conversion therapy ban why it wasn't passing, and you've done a great job here today. I really appreciate you taking your time and coming in. And also, I, I, want, I want to re, uh, restate that the resource uh, center that you're in charge of is absolutely essential, and now everybody knows where it's at. <laughs> and uh, I want the students to take advantage of that. Uh, what about people outside of the student body? Are, are you, do they, you have people that possibly you could help or reach out to help in the community itself that fall under one of the uh, acronyms? Yeah, absolutely. So we are the only resource center um, in southern Utah, um, you know, the closest being another campus, SUU. Um, then it's a two-hour drive to Vegas or up to Salt Lake City. So we are, you know, the closest thing to a resource center that we have within, wow. you know. That radius. So I do field um, calls and resources from the community as well. So I get phone calls saying, hey, you know, I'm looking for an inclusive provider, healthcare provider. Hey, my daughter just came out. Um, can you provide me with some resources? Help me understand this. So yes, it's, it's absolutely open to me um, because, you know, we are the only resource center in this, you know, town. So. And I'm glad you said that. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I don't think people are aware of how important it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, you are the only resource center. And the next one's 50 miles north of us. The other campus starts with an S. I can't <laughs> but we promote DSU here. <laughs> but the uh, but we're so fortunate to have you on board. And uh, and now you've put on the line. Hey, this is what needs to be done. All right. I hate to tell you this, but a time flies when you're having fun, as they say. Uh, I really appreciate the time and effort that you've put forth in, in explaining the uh, conversion band, also about the resource center and everything that you do there. And Kathy per- Katie Perkins, excuse me. Uh, this is the end of for tips for this week. So, ladies and gentlemen, you can uh, take a look and listen to us here at 3 o'clock on Fridays and, again, rebroadcast it at 5 p.m. on Saturdays on KDXI 100.3 FM. As well as you can see that beautiful smiling face of Katie Perkins on Facebook, Twitter, podcast, Podbeans, our affiliate there. And even ask Alexis, hey, Alexis, St. George Radio, and ask for tips. So uh, until then, uh, till next week, uh, this is Bob Oxley signing off. And please have a safe and enjoyable week. Bye-bye now.